this is the Pie Boy Podcast. Hey, welcome back. It's the Pie Boy Podcast, and this is Sparky. Welcome to the 50th episode. So, I feel like it's a lot. It's not enough. I've got a lot more stories and have goals that take it further. But we're at 50, and I'm proud of that. And I want to start this one with a mindful minute and start with a meditation from my Touchstones book, uh, Daily Meditations book. And it starts with a quote. Just be what you are and speak from your guts and heart. It's all a man has. It's all a person has. Hubert Humphrey. Some of us have doubted our inner voice so completely that we abandoned it totally. Many of us discovered in recovery that by our denial, we had violated our inner voice with lies, even to ourselves. Now we question whether we can trust our instincts, and we may not know what we feel. Masculine spiritual recovery is a return to our guts and our heart. Standing up and speaking from our hearts may be difficult at times, but our self-respect rises as we do. That is where we go for our final decision-making. We develop better reception for the inner voice as we live this program. We accept that we are never absolutely right. We continue with humility, knowing we may be wrong and listening to others and our higher power. Yet we must live with our choices. So that ends with like an affirmation. I will seek the courage to be faithful to my own instincts. So I think I read this this morning and I didn't plan for the 50th episode to happen. When I read this, I got this book. I've had this book for about a year. I think I've been reading it almost a year. It's got to be 80%. And I read that's April 15th today and thinking about the 50th episode and thinking about the guts it takes to tell these stories, the trauma stories and the grace stories. They're my stories and they're very unique and a lot of them are troubling and they give me a lot of trouble, but I'm here to say that by doing this, it's helped me so much. And by telling these stories, talking about the things that happened to me, when I think about how I got through the trauma and they, if you look into how people, um, deal with trauma in a positive way. It's all about relationships. It's like the relationships mess you up, but then relationships can fix you too and fix you. And I don't know if that's the right word. They can help guide you to something better um, and get out of whatever mess that you're dealing with from your past and baggage and heavy energies on you. But it's just crazy, this 
I just felt so validated reading this. Speak from your guts. Be true to your inner voice. That's something I've held on to for a long time. And this message speaks to all, like, all of the stories from the beginning. And I've always had that inner voice um, not perfectly in tune, but I've been in tune to it for a while. And it's helped me tremendously. I think my written voice is that inner voice because I'm able, I feel like I have more space um, on the sc- on a page or in a screen or in a notebook or something to say and think about what I want to say completely and express myself more completely and thoroughly and clearly. So yeah, I, I it, this quote also makes me think of another uh, daily meditation thing when it says, um, great ideas are just that, like ideas unless you take action on them. And it also gives me, this quote gives me courage to like face that. Um, yeah, to just go after writing all these things and talking about these things. And you'll see after I tell this story how the just talking to one person or a couple people about what's going on and the trauma you've been through will help you so much. And today like switch gears a little bit the song was the um, the theme or the inspiration or whatever it is um connection connected to this story is last dance with mary jane by tom petty and tom petty is part of the story and it's very weird how this story starts and it starts weird and goofy and then ends pretty badly to be honest, as a trigger warning, but Last Dance with Mary Jane is just a song. It always makes me think of my mom, and it's not for, it's for traumatic reasons, but also for good reasons, too. Um, I always thought the song was about her. As a little kid, before you really know, your world is expanded. You see outside of your little bubble of things, you just fill in the, I feel like you just fill in the blanks of what you don't know and just make up your imagination fills in a lot of weird stuff sometimes and that was one kind of made up story in my head that the song was about my mom because I knew who Tom Betty was for a long time a long time it's one of the first like musical artists that I knew because of my mom and I talked about it at the concert stub um, podcast earlier in this um, series and my mom had been to quite a few Tom Petty concerts, and I have the ticket stubs to prove it. And so, yeah, it was a, a staple in my house, and it's tied to my my story and my legacy. Um, what else? I think that's it. That's we're getting mindful about what we're gonna do here, setting an intention, and we're getting into it. So, chapter fifty three. Last Dance. We went on a last-minute trip to a Tom Petty concert in the Gorge. Well, my parents went while uh, Aunt Bubbles, Jocko, Spud, and I stayed at the campsite. We thought we were going the whole time, and no one told us different until right before the drunk adults went to the concert and told the kids 
that it was an adult's night and not a kid night. The car ride there was a shit show. My dad is a terrible driver, especially on a road trip. He has a habit of not paying attention to signs or exits or anything at all, as well as speeding up and slowing down like Mr. Magoo is driving. We were giving him shit the whole time, and he got so mad at us. He missed at least three exits on the way there, and we didn't have GPS back then. There was no Google Maps. He was going completely off memory and, and an image in his head, and not a clear one at that. At one point, he went over a curb in a parking lot because he missed a turn in Pasco, Washington, and also made a hard left over a sidewalk to get back on track. I said, hey, Dad, did you see that cop? He snapped it, his head around to look out the window and in the rearview mirror so fast. He then looked at me and looked scared. He kept saying, oh, shit, what cop, Sparky? There was no cop. But I let him suffer for a second more. And then I said, look, the cop is waving and laughing. And that's when my dad said, fuck you, Sparky. That wasn't funny. As the rest of us... Um, <laughs> as the rest of the car laughed in his face. <laughs> I love that. Everything was a big joke to him, unless it was coming back on him, of course. He was Mr. Funny Guy until he poked the bear. I got dad that day for messing with me so much as a kid and a teenager. I poked the bear, and I got him. He had it coming. It was even better that the peanut gallery laughed and kept saying, Oh, watch out, there's a cop. It was the joke that kept on giving. We met up with my dad's work buddy, Jumpin' Jim. They called him Jumpin' Jim because he was full throttle all the time. He couldn't sit still and jabbered a mile a minute. Eventually, Jumpin' Jim, his wife... My dad and stepmom were drunk as skunks. Lit to the point that Jumpin' Jim was falling over and dad was holding him up as he smoked a cig. They left in a whirlwind, yelling, Tom Petty! and honking like assholes. The four amigos not going to the concert, probably had the best time, even if we had to ride a windstorm out in a tent by clenching together like it was the end of the world. We were goofing off and talking when out of nowhere the weather changed. The sky got dark. There was a freak windstorm in the canyon where our campsite was. It almost blew us away. The four of us were just enough weight to keep the tent from lifting up off the ground. We slept in a giant ball listening to the madness. The wind whipped and wailed like a banshee for most of the night. We were all too scared to move and the parents had taken our car. There's nowhere else to go. We bonded with Aunt Bubbles that night. She saved us from the wind, but she also saved us from our parents. 
Driving home was fun with my hungover parents. At one point, we saw a giant rodeo trailer uh, with a matching brand new green Super Duty Ford truck uh, with the license plate that read, Big Sexy. My dad went insane after that. That (laughs) That is all he could talk about. Big Sexy, the cowboy, and bull rider. He swore he heard about him on ESPN. We passed him a few times to get a look at him, and he actually looked like a cleaned-up version of Toby Keith. We laughed our asses off. Then he started in on Aunt Bubbles, asking her if she had a crush on Big Sexy, and we laughed. He then started calling her Big Sexy, her new nickname. We all started to call her that from that point on. We wore that name out before even before we even pulled in the driveway. My stepmom finally told us all to shut the hell up. My dad kept playing games, though, waiting 10 to 15 minutes. Then he would say something about big sexy, and my aunt would lose it, and we would then all start laughing again. My little brother started saying it, and that pissed my stepmom off even more. It was like we were living in an alternate reality. When we pulled up to my mom's house, I knew something wasn't right. There were cop cars. I had been worrying about starting school the next day, sixth grade, and suddenly that was out the window. Mom was in handcuffs, and my grandparents were in tears, obviously upset and not ready for us to be there. Kayla and I ran to them and just hugged them. We cried. It all didn't seem real. I knew right away this time things were worse. She was in big trouble. The cops didn't even let her say bye to us. The do-right boys a.k.a. Tillamook PD, were mean-spirited. Mom had gotten herself in a pinch. Gramps kept saying it was time for us to go with our dad now. Gramps had turned Mom in for taking the rent money from the apartment people and using it to gamble and do drugs and who knows what else. And that actually could not even be the whole story or a true story. There's a lot to it that I don't know. And there were a lot of things I didn't know were going on. Grandpa cried the most while we all watched Mom get arrested. It must have been so hard for Graham and Graham to let us go, though. I felt like I lost a piece of my innocence. Gramps was beside himself, and I believe he was thinking he should have turned Mom in long ago or something. I felt like he had a tough time trying to help her. The worse and worse the situation got. It still bothers me to think we left so fast. We didn't have time to pack our stuff or anything. We just went with my dad and my stepmom and my brother. 
I try not to think about how Graham and Gramps felt because it feels heavy. I know it broke their hearts to let us go and be far from us when we all had been so close. Kayla and I had never been that far before. Not for a long time. They are, they are the ones that truly raised us and we got snatched away. It hurt so much back then, but I was able to let some of that go now. And I have a different perspective. I wouldn't be where I am now without the first step on the journey to the next chapter of my life, which started back then and led me to where I am now. It seemed like we magically were living in Molino, Lost Canyon, down the street from the Pioneer Cemetery, on the outskirts of Oregon City. Kayla started at Clark's grade school and me at Malala Middle two days later. The transition flashed before my eyes. We got a fresh start and I remember talking to a counselor at the school for a, the first few weeks. My friends from the summer and weekends were so surprised to see me and excited. The warm welcome helped take my mind off of what I had been through days before. I owe those kids so much to this day. Their relationships, some I still have, and others have faded. But the impact is true. They helped me through the trauma, if they knew it or not. Graham told me long after that it was the best thing for us to go. Tillamook was not the place for us te as teenagers or people. I think you, I think we would have been in a bad place. Most of the kids I knew from back then ended up doing drugs and getting into some trouble or completely leaving once they could or were forced to. We had more opportunities in town, but it still hurt leaving the people that you could always count on. I always felt more peaceful with them and that I didn't have to worry so much. Yeah, so obviously that story is like a roller coaster. I was telling my wife last night, this is the closest story I have to a style like Tarantino. This is my Pulp Fiction story. There's like humor in the trauma and grace in the trauma. So it's just things I can't make up. And I, I see this visually. It's very visual to me. I don't know if I describe it that way, but I feel like that's how I'm writing it that way. That's the goal, at least. And very to the point, stream of consciousness, style, and... I'll circle back around and I was talking about relationships helping you get through the trauma and these people I knew from 
Malala and Oregon City and Clarks and Malino and they really showed up for me. And a lot of them I didn't tell them exactly what happened. It took me a while. I told my friend Lumpy and his mom and they embraced my sister and I instantly because somehow we made friends with them um, pretty quick and Lumpy's mom started taking us to school. Um, Kayla would come in the mornings, but then Josie would go. His babysitter was right there, so he would just go there. When he was older, he would go with us, but go to Lumpy's in the morning and just telling them, like confiding in them. And once I, it wasn't my experience before when I was in Tillamook of trying to talk about my feelings and deal with my traumas. It just felt like everybody around me, there were friends that helped with it. They couldn't help me in the moments that I needed it. They helped me get away from there, like an escape, but they weren't there in the moment. And once I moved to Malala, like these people were, but I was scared to talk to them because I thought it was going to be like how it used to be from where I was coming from, but it was like a 180 and it changed everything for me. It took so much stress off of me. At first it, I was such a stressed out kid. Kids didn't know. I tried so hard not to explode on anybody or tell them how I was feeling. I had, I told the counselor and stuff, but I just didn't understand. I just felt on fire and sad i would but i would wait until i was like alone completely alone because i felt like i had to be tough my dad was kind of the classic tough guy and that's how i felt like he wanted me to be his power through this and be big brother be the tough brother and tough man young man and stuff and that's all I had. Like, so I did that. It didn't really work for me though. I bottled up stuff for a long time and then it eventually exploded. But telling Lumpy was such a big, a big thing for me. And there was a couple other people. Um, my buddy Sauce, Da Sauce, um, he knows, he knows who he is. Definitely told him eventually about all the family traumas and things. And not all of a sudden, my point is by telling people, whoever they were, they just all of a sudden were there for me, no matter what. There was like this unconditional love that came through because they're like, whoa, that's fucked up, man. You need someone to be there for you. And yeah, they did it. Well, like, just did it. I didn't have to ask them at all. They just decided, like, whoa, man, that's a crazy story. Do you need a hug? <laughs> Do you need to talk? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so thankful for those things because this was crazy. Seeing my mom, I'd seen her get arrested before I saw my uncle get arrested. I saw my mom or my dad 
before and seeing my mom the time with the flower pot was crazy but this time was just i knew it was worse like she was going away for a while and i think there is more to the story it's just those things are hard to talk about with those people um so like i've been told i live the story so i think it's trauma just being foggy i mean i gotta trust myself like that's the meditation today like i know what i've been told i know what i saw i know what i felt can't falter from that yeah it's a hard image to get out of your brain as a young man that was such a long journey and really i realized today this podcast is about mental health and the journey for a young man um in oregon dealing with graces and traumas from day one and think about the part with my grandparents it took out a lot because i was some of i was speculating others it's just tmi and people don't need to know everything but they need to know the gist the story the main story and this was it i used to think this song tom last dance like it it ties together all this because it was it was the last time that we went home and it was our home in Tillamook. It was the last trip of the summer, but it was kind of rush and half ass. So we got karma and it paid and that kind of thing happened with my parent, my dad and my stepmom a lot. We do these last minute trips and there'd always be wacky stuff that would happen. Crashes and damage and blown tires and expired food or pee your pants or you know just all these bad things would happen because we are rushing and probably shouldn't have gone but we did anyway and that kind of mentality only lasts so long <laughs> with so many things and then the nicknames i know my um my aunt would be pissed but that's just that's the story like nobody has these stories and it's not i say them because i'm proud of them my i know my dad was kind of a bully and made fun of her a lot and like i'm the, i guess this is how it comes back around his son um pumps up the story in the nickname and makes it more of the hero of the story and dad looks like the joker but that's what he wanted to be so there we are it all works itself out right comes full circle excuse me that was a weird sound for my water but yeah it was weird leaving like that and not getting my stuff not going up there i don't think i could have i was just in shock riding home with them was very awkward we my sister and i just kind of huddled together in the back of my dad's bronco his oj bronco it's black with a tan top and while my dad and stepmom were making calls on their clunky old cell phone from the late 90s and i think they called out their lawyer and they called like people like hey 
kids are coming with us now and just remember these like different energy in the car and whatever i'm not saying i'm mad at anybody this is just my experience and it was traumatic i didn't feel like ease it was ease into this transition of a different life i feel like i was rocketed into it but it was an opportunity it was a, a chance at a, a fresh start truly and i'm thankful for that even though i had to see what i saw with my mom and my grandparents and seeing the trauma but i knew grace was coming and just in those moments i didn't understand i f- i really feel like i entered a different dimension i went from like the first dimension the first part of my life and now i was in like the second dimension second gear of my life second wave so from 11 to 18 or tw- really it's like 12 to 18 because i'm going to sixth grade where you turn 12 your 12th year and whoa i felt so much older than kids i remember people being like wow you're really mature for a sixth grader or a seventh grader or even eighth grader you seem like you're in high school and it wasn't because i really was it was just i came off that way because i had been through so much and seen so much stuff but that being said i'm proud that i made it to 50 I'm proud that I can tell these stories and hopefully help somebody like me. And I'm just thankful, thankful for change, thankful for mental health and positive things. So with that being said, go do something kind for somebody till next time. Peace.